0: Turn in the Word of God, if you would, to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 6. Luke 6, I'll read the verses 37 to 45. Luke 6, beginning at verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see a speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. The words at the beginning of our section of reading, judge not, are probably one of the most under or the most uh, well-known least understood but most well-known words in our culture we have a culture that doesn't want anyone to express an opinion about anything and certainly not to criticize people's own views they want everyone to be tolerant of everyone though of course christians don't get afforded the same treatment. I had an experience of this this past week when I was traveling from Ontario to Calgary on a plane. I got into conversation with a doctor who was a former football player, so you can well imagine how comfortable we were on that flight. But I was talking to a doctor about his life and work, and the conversation got around to medically assistance in death. And I stressed to him the obligation of humanity to submit to God who is the only sovereign and who has the only prerogative over death or life. He was kind to me, but he then went on to say, however, who are you to say when someone has uh, suffered enough? That is, what you say might be true, But an individual who wishes to have medical assistance in death, to have his life taken away, has the right to that, and we must all bow before the sovereign individual. There's no right or wrong. There's no sense of God's uh, morality impressed upon society. No, you cannot judge anyone who wishes to have their life taken away. Well certainly Jesus is not suggesting that we ought to be like our culture with this pseudo tolerance. In fact in the next section that God willing Michael will deal with next Lord's Day the Lord Jesus is calling us to make assessments and judgments so that we might know how best to build our life upon the rock. So then what is our Lord speaking about this morning when he condemns condemning others, and when he judges, judging others. Well, in the context, our Lord has been discussing how we ought to engage with one another. That was the burden of the last section, the verses 27 through 36, where Jesus speaks about how we are to engage with our enemies, with those who are against us. And he continues that train of thought. And what he is saying here when he says, judge not or condemn not, our Lord Jesus is condemning and judging an attitude and actions that are overly critical of one another, that are, is always finding fault with others. He is censoring a censorious A harshly critical, fault-finding attitude. And you know that this abounds, that there are people like this who are always looking at other people in order to criticize them. They're always nitpicking, finding faults, seeing where people fall short and do not measure up to their own standards. They're harsh in their criticisms. They never give people uh, the benefit of the doubt, they always assume that they know other people's motives and judge them on that. These people don't need to hear the whole story. They can come to their own conclusions just on half the story. There are people who are hypercritical, uh, super censoring of other people. They never put another person's actions or words in the best way possible light. For example, I was at a conference uh, a few months ago, and one of the speakers shared a story of uh, how some years ago he had witnessed to a young lady, and 30 years later this lady called him on the phone and told him that she had come to Christ and that she had in her hand the very paper that he had uh, given her the text to write upon. And as he was telling the story, you, you could think if you were a critical person, You could think that he was just parading his own diligence and evangelism and witnessing to others, and that he was just showing off and promoting himself. Or you could assume that he was doing this to encourage you, to encourage you that because God was able to use him, God is able to use you as well. And to encourage you that though you might witness to someone and see no results immediately, sometimes 20 or 30 years later, the Lord is happy to bless your efforts. A critical person will always think the worst of that individual. But a generous person will always think generously and kindly and put that person's actions and words in the best possible light. Jesus says, that we're not to judge, and that we are not to condemn. We're not to be harshly critical, to have an attitude that is gossipy, slanderous, and never offers anyone any encouragement whatsoever. Now, you might think that no Christian would be like that And I suppose that if you had the heart that the Lord Jesus is talking about, you would think the best of Christians, and would think that this is not a message that needs to be heard in a Christian church, much less this one, because no Christian would treat one another like that. And yet Jesus does address this. And so it must be a sin and a temptation that believers fall into. Otherwise, he he wouldn't say anything about this whatsoever. But it isn't just that Jesus addresses it. We know it from our own experience. We know that we sometimes have been harshly treated, that people have impugned our motives, that they have been unkind and censoring us and saying all kinds of evil things about us, that that there are people who jump to conclusions about us. They think we're rude just because we don't say hi to them in the foyer. Little knowing that there's this weight that's on my mind, so I didn't even see you in the foyer this morning. Or I am so shy and withdrawn that it takes a great deal for me to catch your eye and give you a smile and say hello. We have people who treat other people poorly. We know that this needs to be said. But not only do we know this needs to be said because we've been on the receiving end of other people's judgments and criticisms and condemnations, but we ourselves have been harshly critical. We have looked at other people's lives, jumped to conclusions about what they were saying or doing, never giving them the the benefit of the doubt, criticizing them for their actions and words, not trying to understand them. We have been critical of others. We have judged and we have condemned others. I'm sure you children have played on occasion with binoculars. You know, you look through the small end and and what is small in the distance all of a sudden becomes massive because the binoculars appear to bring them closer. But I'm sure you've also turned the binoculars around and looked through the big end and you see that things that are close look like they're really far away. So binoculars can either megasize something that is small or can make small something that is, is big. And as Christians, we often use the binoculars properly when we're dealing with other people so that their sins are so obvious to us. And we use binoculars backwards when we look at ourselves and do not see what is patently obvious to other people. We do not see our own sins and shortcomings. Because what's going on is that we have so often a self-righteous attitude that flatters ourselves by tearing down others. And our Lord Jesus says, these things ought not to be. Judge not. Condemn not, he says. But that, doesn't, that isn't all that he says, because he goes on to say uh, what we ought to do. You know, this is the genius of Scripture. It's not sufficient to stop doing things. You have to replace bad activity with good activity. And so he goes on to say at the end of verse 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. And, and, and it's interesting that, uh, that Jesus here isn't given the opposite actions. Because if he were given the opposite actions of judge not and condemn not, he, he would be saying affirm and justify other people. He's not given the opposite actions, but he's given us the opposite attitude and disposition of heart. Whereas judging and condemning is critical and doesn't seek the good of those whom we judge and condemn— Giving and forgiving seeks the blessing of others. It's indicative of, a, of an open heart, of open hands, of generous and uh, of love and concern for one another. It's, it's an attitude and disposition that seeks the best for other people. How we might love them for their blessing. So, Jesus says, Don't be like this with that kind of critical spirit and disposition that's always finding fault with others. Instead, he says, Be generous, gracious, kind, encouraging to your brothers and sisters. And then he encourages that with this promise that we will be rewarded. And this warning. That if you treat others badly, you will be treated badly. He says, If you are gracious, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the way you treat others is the way you will be treated. This principle is all over the Scripture. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap abundantly. God is not mocked. The way you treat others is the way you will be treated. And so Jesus is just saying again in a different way what he had said in the previous passage. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And then Jesus gives a parable. So he first of all tells us how we ought to interact with one another, not with a judging, condemning, censorious attitude and disposition, but to be generous and kind and gracious to one another. And then in verses 39 to 42, he tells a parable. And notice it is one parable. It has three parts. It's about the blind man, the disciple, and the speck. But it's one parable. So it seems to me that we ought to understand that Jesus is driving at one point in three particular ways. And again, what he's saying is that if you treat others with this kind of attitude that is hypercritical and always finds fault, you will never be a blessing to anyone else. In fact, you will do more harm than good. How so? Well, he says, think about a blind man. A blind man who is unaware of his own faults and failures, if he seeks to help another blind man, well, they're both going to fall into a pit. The blind cannot lead the blind. Or he says, take it this way, if there's a teacher who is super critical, always highlighting the negative points about other people, well, what do you think his student, the person that he influences, is going to be like? You're not going to be a blessing to that student because he's going to become exactly like you. That's unhelpful. This has often been noted in the church that, that sometimes people who have problems with the church, they, they, they affect their whole family. So that if the head of the family is really critical and nothing is ever good, All of his children and grandchildren seem to follow in that trend, and that's what Jesus is saying. If you have that kind of attitude that's negative and critical, well, all those who are under your authority or under your leadership will have that same attitude. You're not going to be a blessing to other people. And then he tells the story about the speck that's in the brother's eye. You don't notice the log that is in your own eye. He says, how can you help someone if you've got this log of self-righteousness and self-confidence, thinking you're better than anyone, everyone else and that uh, everyone else is a loser compared to you, if you have that kind of attitude, you'll not be of any value to a brother who has a sin in his life that ought to be removed. But it won't be able to be removed by the people like you because you've got a log in your own eye. And not only will you not be able to see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you're acting like a hypocrite because uh, you say to your brother, I'm really concerned about the way that you're living. And uh, there's a sin in your life that needs to be addressed. Well, you're not really serious about seeking the glory of God or your brother's good. If you've got a more massive sin in your own life, that's just hypocrisy. You're just going to your brother to criticize him and to belittle him and to be negative towards him. Because if you really had a concern for the glory of God and the holiness of his people, and if you really had a devotion to an obedient life, you would deal with your sin first. Now, Jesus is not saying, of course, that that you can't help one another. And that you can never approach a brother or rebuke a sister. Of course you can. We're we're in this together as brothers and sisters. But you can never do that effectively if you have a self-righteous attitude that's super critical of others. You'll just do more harm. You'll damage. You won't be a blessing. You'll be a curse to your brothers and sisters. Well, Jesus wants us to help one another. And that's why he says at the end of verse 42... Take the log out of your own eye. Deal with your own pride, your arrogance, your self-centeredness, your critical spirit, your esteeming yourself better than others, your contempt for your brothers and sisters. You're looking down on them because they don't measure up to your standards. Remove that attitude, that critical spirit, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck. That is in your brother's eye. Of course we have to help each other. Of course we all have sins that need to be excised from our lives so that we might be more faithful congregation of God's people, more devoted to his name, more running in the way of his commandments. Of course we do need to help one another, but never with an arrogant, self-righteous, hypercritical attitude that can never find anything good to say about anyone else and can only say negative things. Judge not, and you will not be judged. I trust that you feel, as I do, very convicted by this. I imagine that there's no one who is free of this sin It seems to be so endemic to us. That's why gossip is so irresistible, because we love to see negative things about others. Why is that? And if you think that you're glad that so-and-so is here to hear that sermon, well, perhaps uh, the Lord has you here this morning because He's going to deal with you on this very sin Himself. So so what's the solution? How how do we be what we ought to be and better than we are? Well, you could think that we just need to say nothing. Remember the adage, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. So I just will be quiet. I won't say anything to anybody. That way I will never be critical of other people. Well, Well, there's two problems with that. First of all, that takes care of the the not condemning, at least in terms of what's outward, and the not judging. But it it doesn't enable you to express generosity and love and concern. So if you say nothing, that means you, you also won't be encouraging your brother or affirming your brother or loving your sister and saying kind things to her to build her up. And then there's the other thing. It doesn't deal with your heart. It doesn't deal with where this critical attitude comes from. The problem is not the words that we say or the actions that we do. The problem is the heart. And our Lord Jesus points this out in verses 43 to 45. He turns horticulturist on us. And he says, "'No good tree bears bad fruit, and nor does a bad tree bear good fruit.'" Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. You don't get figs, he says, from thorn bushes. You don't get grapes from a bramble bush. Whatever the tree is, that's the fruit that the tree is going to produce. And then he drives it home in verse 45 The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So to whatever degree you're critical and harsh and unkind to others and always judgmental and condemning, to that degree, your heart is being laid bare. The problem is not what we say or what we do. The problem is the disposition of our heart. As one professor used to say, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And that's what we need to deal with. And so, either one of two things is true. Reminds me of the VBS this week. The children will understand this who were there. Of two, one is true. So, if you are a critical person, it's either because you need a new heart. Or there's another problem that I'll get to in a minute. It could be because you need a new heart that your heart is as hard as it was on the day it was conceived. It has never been softened by the grace of God. It resists, it is critical, it is harsh. It doesn't know grace, and so doesn't display grace. And if you have a heart like that, then you will always produce evil. That's what Jesus is saying. For out of the abundance of the heart His mouth speaks, And you need a heart transplant. You need to go to the Lord Jesus, confessing your sins, and get a new heart from Him. Because if you don't have a heart transplant, then you will die with that heart, and you will be in an eternal mess. I mean, think of hell this way. Everyone's nitpicking. Everyone's critical. No one says a kind word. Everyone is grumbling and complaining about one another. That's what hell is. And unless we have a heart transplant that the Lord Jesus can give, that's where we'll go. Remember what our Lord said. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so some of you need a new heart. And you can't say, listen, that's not for me. I've been in the church all my life. There's no way I need a new heart. Well, possibly you do, because being in church all your life, growing up under the means of grace, hearing the preaching of the gospel, being taught biblical truths does not give one a new heart. Christ is the heart giver. And you need to cry out to Him and ask Him that He would take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh so that you would both love Him and your neighbor. Some of you might need a heart transplant. And some of you might just have heart disease. The Lord's given you a new heart. You've confessed your sins. You've taken the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You trust in Him as your only mediator, the only one who can take the the penalty that your sin deserves. But your heart is sickly. It has become uh, self-righteous, You've forgotten the grace of God. You think that you stand before God on the basis of of your own goodness. And you're thankful that you're not like other people are, that you're so much better than they are. It's not that you're not a Christian, but you become a very critical Christian. Perhaps it's because you've hung around critical people and you've adopted their ways and their attitudes. Or maybe it's just that you've forgotten that the Lord Jesus deals with you with kindness and compassion, that the Heavenly Father is tender-hearted. He doesn't berate. He's not critical of you. He knows you inside and out better than you know yourself. He knows all your failures, all your foibles, all of your sins, all of the darkness, all of the recesses of your heart. He knows everything about you, and He says to you, my child, I love you. And if we know that about our Father in heaven, and if we know how our Lord Jesus Christ deals with us, then wouldn't that determine how we deal with one another? So maybe some of you don't need a new heart. You just need to be reawakened to grace, to the free grace that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ, the generous grace big-hearted, open-handed favor that the Lord has shown to you in so many ways so that you might be shaped by that and then treat your brothers and sisters as you've been treated by God. So this morning, it doesn't really matter where you are. You might need a new heart or you might need a renewed heart but we all need to go to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and take David's prayer upon our lips. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And may God give us grace to do so and then transform us by his spirit so that we would be a forgiving and giving people in imitation of our God. Let's pray. It is astonishing, O Lord, that you know everything about us and you love us more deeply than we can ever imagine. We ask you that you would impress that upon us. Some of us don't know that. Some of us have known that and have forgotten it. Some of us are weak in this. So we pray that by Your Word and through the gracious Spirit we would understand afresh the richness of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that it would shape our attitudes, our dispositions, our characters, our lives, so that we would love one another deeply from the heart that we would be gracious and kind and merciful and compassionate towards one another because that's the way you've been with us and we pray this in jesus name amen